Well, guys, um, I am uh, I'm happy to uh, to be up here today. Um, as the schedule kind of goes, I, I I usually I usually get to teach. Uh, every other week or so, but it's been a, it's been three weeks since I got up here, so I kind of was getting an itch to get back up here. I almost came up last week when Eric was here and pushed him off the stage because I wanted to get back up here. Um, but we're going to start off this this new series today, um, which is always exciting. I always like starting off new series um, just because it's you know there's so much that we get to to try to pull out of these out of these lessons as we go through them. And so this this new series is called Seven Deadly Sins. And so we're going to be going through the, the seven deadly sins. Um, we've probably all heard of them, right? And I think this will be really interesting. But honestly, my hope is that we all find it convicting more than just interesting, right? Because we do want change in our lives. That's the whole point. That's what we're after, hopefully, right, is that we want to become uh, new people. We want to be more Christ-like in our actions all the time. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that we have some conviction here as well. But it would be kind of weird to start talking about sin without answering the obvious question, what is sin? Um, it's, a, it's kind of a churchy word, right? We, we hear that a lot when we, when we are in church or when we talk about church. Um, even if you grew up going to a church, you may not have a good definition of it. So what is it? Well, here is a great way to define it. Sin is simply choosing to follow our own way instead of God's way. See, God created the world with, with order. But then man decided to go his own way and sin rather than, rather than go God's way. So since then, God has directed us how we are to live our lives through his word. So sin is simply when we decide not to follow him. And we all have this, this streak of rebelliousness in us, don't we? I know I definitely do. You've, you've probably seen my great big giant uh, live free or die tattoo on my, on my leg here. Um, the fact is I don't like being told what to do. And, um, and I'm sure maybe some of you don't either. But, but God knows better than, than we do. And so he warns us against these, these harmful things in our lives, just like a parent warns their children from dangerous behaviors. That's why good parents set firm rules for their children. Now, sometimes kids don't understand why it's wrong or why it's bad to get mixed up with the wrong crowd or, or that kids don't understand why we don't run with scissors and they don't necessarily understand why we brush our teeth before bed. But parents know this stuff, right? They know that it's for the good of their children. And God knows why as well because he is a good father. He knows what's good for us, and he knows what's bad for us, even, even when we don't know. And because these, because these things, these sins, are dangerous, we need to understand that they are also deadly. And so here is a list of them of, in this series. Now, just to be clear, there are, there are numerous sins, far more than just these seven, and these seven aren't explicitly listed in the Bible. Like, you're not going to go and find a verse that, that lays out uh, these, these sins. But historically, there's been an effort to, to categorize sinful behavior, not necessarily to rank them, but more to clarify and, and to define them. So 
This series is, is based loosely on a book from Graham Tomlin called The Seven Deadly Sins, How to Overcome Life's Most Toxic Habits. And that's what uh, we're going to dig into here is the toxicity of these behaviors. And while we'll see that there's almost a, uh, an unending list of sins, they all really seem to have the same, the same roots, and they generally fall into these seven categories. But something I, I want to, uh, that I, I think I want to point out here about sin is the fact that it really seems to be minimized in our world today. Have you guys noticed that? It, it's become uh, more of a, a, of, a, of a playful word than a fearful one. It's almost, it's almost a joke at times. In fact, our society seems to celebrate a lot of these things rather than condemn them. Things like pride and greed. They actually use sin they, they actually use sin to celebrate other sin. I mean, think about this, like, you know, Las Vegas, right? We, we call it Sin City. And, and, and Las Vegas has this mantra or this motto of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. As though it's a, a thing to take sort of a, sort of, you know, joy out of. But the fact is, God has told us to stay away from these behaviors. And he didn't do this, though, because he wants to keep us away from the fun stuff. And, and I think that's kind of how it gets pushed sometimes when we talk about sin, is that God's sort of a fun sponge. That's not the case. The fact is, it's because God created us. It's because God loves us, and he knows that these behaviors are destructive to us. And all of them end up affecting our relationships, not just with God, but with each other. And that's something that we all need is community, and we need relationship with one another. After all, God said way back in, in uh, the book of Genesis that it's, it's not good for man to be alone, right? And these sins end up destroying our relationships and putting barriers up between us. And so that's the main takeaway that uh, we want from this series is the seven deadly sins are bad habits that destroy our ability to love God, destroy our ability to love others, and to, to love ourselves. So you guys, God wants the best for us in all of these areas, but these sins are destructive. And the one we're going to talk about today, the one we're going to talk about today is the one that can kind of seem the most acceptable to the world, but it is extremely harmful in all of our relationships, and that is the deadly sin of pride. So, what is pride? Pride is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. So, do you guys think in our world today, um, in our society, do you think that we take this sin of pride seriously? Pride is celebrated today, isn't it? I mean, just look at, look at sports. Most popular athletes tend to be the most prideful, right? Um, just I tried watching some football last week, and the, the NFL teams, they seem to spend as much time practicing their end zone dance as they do practicing the plays that are supposed to get them there in the first place. And the flashier, the flashier that it is, the more that it's shown on the highlight reels all week long. 
And then social media, right? Social media is another great example. It tends to be extremely self-focused for the most part. And, um, and often I think our social media life exists simply to get the most attention. Um, we're always seeing people post about their, their fancy vacations or their, their shiny new possessions. Um, and often it's done in pursuit of that all too important thumbs up or, or like or retweet or whatever you call them. Um, but in all seriousness, when, you know, even when, when we do consider pride a dangerous behavior, it seems to be difficult to, uh, to, to recognize it in ourselves. We can usually spot it easily in other people. Um, you could probably spot it fairly easily in me. Um, but, it's, but, but, the, but the reality is sometimes it's hard for, for me to see it in myself sometimes. And thank God for the people in my life who are, who are able to point that out to me when I don't recognize it in myself. Um, really, truly, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that there are people who do point that out. As hard as it can be to hear, it's important that, that we recognize it so that we can address it. So we're going to look at why pride is so dangerous. And that's our first point here today, is that pride is a false pathway to self-worth, making it Sometimes uh, making it something that we try to build on the basis of our own goodness. Now, pride affects all of the sins that we're going to talk about in this series. Pride is all about self, and so are the rest of those those sins listed up there, right? And and I want more money. I want a bigger house. Those are those are going to be you know relating to greed, and then uh, with envy, you know, um, I deserve what that person has, or, or maybe it's anger. I have a right to be angry with, with so-and-so, right? Um, and the fact is we all, we all struggle with pride, and I have been one of the worst at that. Um, in my career as a police officer, I saw the worst of people. Um, I saw them in their homes when the rest of the world wasn't watching. Uh, I had a front row seat to the debauchery of our community, I saw them in their worst moments, and I, I, practically be, I began to practically pat myself on the back, commending my ego for not being like everyone else. My pride drove me to be so cynical. It probably ruined more relationships than I can even count because I would never even let them begin. It was destructive to them. It was destructive to those relationships, and that's why God warns us about this. But we're going to also discover, though, that pride can rear its, its ugly head, not only in our personal relationships, but also in our religious lives as well. See, it seems to go completely against our nature to admit that there isn't anything that we can do on our own to make ourselves righteous. This is uh, an innate pride that we all seem to have. Um, I mentioned that this book from Graham Tomlin, and... In it, he says, the emergence of goodness in us is not a matter of strenuous moral exertion on our part, but of responding to the love of God who looked for us long before we ever looked for him and working together with the Holy Spirit who tirelessly works to bring some likeness to Jesus Christ out of us. See, sometimes, sometimes religion can give us the impression that we are 
that we are capable and even responsible for making ourselves worthy or righteous. And that's the, it's the same today as it was back in Jesus' day. In fact, Jesus even told us a story about this very thing. In Luke 18, verse 9, he says, it says, Then Jesus told this story to some, some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He says, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers, certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Does this guy sound familiar? I read that, and I see me. And I'm sure we can all think of someone like this. But here is the tough question. Have you ever caught yourself thinking this way? Sure, I've committed plenty of sin, but at least I've never done what that person has done, right? This is the dangerous effect of pride, is that it it pits us against those around us. We compare ourselves to one another, putting ourselves above others. We compare our sins to the sins of others, this separates us. And that's not what God wants for us. Maybe you're experiencing that today. Division from your family and friends because of pride. But that brings me to my second point. And that is, the opposite of pride is humility. Being secure in our standing with God on the basis of Christ's goodness alone. Humility is having a realistic picture of ourselves, right? Saying, I'm nothing in comparison to who God is. Having this truer idea of ourselves helps to take a lot of that pride away. Because now, none of us can put ourselves above each other. Understanding that we are sinners incapable of living a righteous life on our own power. Pride tells us, that we can do things to make ourselves more worthy of salvation. What a crock. Man, listen listen to what it says in Ephesians. It says, in, in Ephesians 2, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. None of us can boast because we aren't saved by anything that we do. We're saved by grace. And nothing that we do can make us more or less deserving of it. We have to understand, guys, we are in absolute soul poverty. Now, without knowing the gospel, so many, so many people are struggling with this. They go about uh, every day thinking that they have to sort of arbitrarily live up to some invisible subjective standard of worthiness. And without the Holy Spirit's help, they can't defeat their sin. It goes from being hidden to something that they can't hide to something that maybe they don't even care to hide. They might even celebrate because they realize that it's impossible and they don't understand grace. But let's read on in this, this story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Whoops. 
in verse 13, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what's different about the way this tax collector interacted with God? Let's look at these two, right? The Pharisee, he's like, look at, uh, look at how good I am, and look at how bad that guy is. The tax collector, though, He didn't compare himself to anyone. All he did was he recognized his sin. So why did Jesus say he was was justified before God but not the Pharisee? Because the fact is the tax collector knew that he was completely and utterly lost without God. The Pharisee, on the other hand, seems to think that he's got this. He doesn't need anything. What need does he have for God? And guys, this is not... This is not a moot point. This is a, a critical marker or a, a waypoint in our pursuit of God. It's not a step that we can miss as we progress in knowing God. The tax collector understood his standing with God. He was a sinful man. He was lost. He, he needed forgiveness. And he is all of us. We are all sinners. We've all rebelled against God. And we have a huge debt before a a just and holy God, one that we can never pay. There is no amount of, well, he was a good person or, or right living that we can do that can cancel that debt. But Jesus paid the debt that we couldn't. He suffered and died in our place because he loves us despite our rebellion. And the only way we can be made right with God is to accept this free gift that he offers. Jesus offers up his righteousness to us if we accept that. If we accept that he is our only salvation. And that is is the good news. That's the good news of the, the gospel of grace. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's a gift. And when we accept his grace, we give our lives to Jesus We're given a new heart and a new life. This doesn't just affect our our faith, but our personal lives and our our personal relationships as well, right? Because we can apply this in all of our relationships. When we understand that everything isn't about us, we can respond so much better to our friends and family. We can learn to love and serve them better. And Jesus teaches us that one of the best ways to overcome our pride is, we're going to see here in, in point three, the antidote to pride is not self-hatred, but self-sacrifice. Looking outward to find someone to serve. See, when we come face-to-face with our sinfulness, uh, we shouldn't fall into self-hatred or wallow in shame because God tells us that each one of us is extremely valuable. That's why he paid the price. That's why he died for us. And in fact, if you're thinking about it, or if you, if you think about that concept, dwelling in shame and self-hate really is another form of pride because it's discounting what God says about us. 
It's putting our opinion again over God's, suggesting that our opinion is somehow more important than God's opinion of us. See, that's the flip side um, of this, the, 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 the coin of pride. So self-hatred isn't the antidote to pride, but self-sacrifice is. And there's a reward for accepting this new way of thinking. That reward is community and it's fellowship with, with each other. So when we humble ourselves, all of the relationships around us begin to benefit. And this, is, guys, is how we are called to live for others, not, not for ourselves. And in fact, Jesus didn't even exempt himself from this responsibility. He was God in the flesh, but even he came to serve and not be served. In fact, let's look at this example right here in John 13. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. It says Jesus had all authority. He was God in the flesh, but he showed humility and his willingness to serve in the lowliest of ways by washing his disciples' feet. And this is because Jesus was, was teaching us how to overcome pride because he knew how dangerous it was. Guys, we are called to serve each other. Service is so crucial to our faith journey. Now, maybe here at, at Alpine Church, you've seen our core values in the, in the slides. In the pre-service slides, it, it shows them, and they're on the wall out here in the, in the lobby. Um, and they are powerful, and they, they are much about surrendering our lives to God, especially uh, core values number three and four. Number three says we win as a team, not as individuals. And number four says we give up things we love for things we love more. And both of these speak to the heart of finding other people to serve because Jesus set that standard for us in relationships, to be in relationship and to serve one another in love. And those values, they come straight from the Bible, straight from, from God's word. It is so important for us to serve because it helps us to overcome our pride by taking the focus off of ourselves, takes us out of the picture, and it, and it gets us focusing on other people and ultimately on Jesus. And at Alpine, we call this going full circle. We start by trusting Jesus. Then we live a, a, a life that honors God, and we complete the circle by helping others. And there are lots and lots of ways to do that. Here at Alpine, we have all kinds of service teams um, that need your help. But we think that the, the greatest service that you can do is helping someone else in their pursuit of God. And that's exactly what mentoring is. You hear us talk about mentoring or discipleship often from the stage. And, and we do that not because it's just some catchphrase or something, but because we genuinely believe in it. Because that's what we are called to do. But this should go beyond church. It should be in our personal lives as well. We should be looking for ways to serve other people around us. And we're entering into a really great season for that, aren't we? When we bless other people this way, it becomes such a blessing to ourselves. It teaches us humility. Timothy Keller 
is an author and a theologian, and he, he summed this up really well. He says, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Now, as we, as we close, I want to go ahead and invite the, the worship team up here. Um, I just want to remind you that Jesus was the ultimate example of this, living a life of service and sacrifice where he devoted his entire life to ministering and to loving others, showing the, the kind of love that took him to the cross to die for you and me. Because the Bible says the wages of our sin is eternal death. But Jesus paid that debt with his, with his blood. Will you guys pray with me? Lord God, I, uh, I thank you so much um, for these, these, these lessons. Lord, I, I thank you for uh, your forgiveness and the fact that although we struggle with, with sin in our life, I thank you that we are able to uh, find a way through this, through, through the, the blood that you sacrificed on the cross, that you, that you had a plan to redeem us and that we can't do anything and, and that, that we need to get out of our own way and we need to stop trying to do that, trying to think that we can, that we can affect that. But, Lord, that all we need to do is trust in you. And then, Lord, as we take that, that gift that you've given us, I just ask that you help us to be able to go then and take that to other people, to demonstrate that love and that service attitude to other people, not to be prideful, but to be full of humility. Lord, we're so thankful for your gift of your redemp the redemption through your blood. Lord, we love you and we say this in Jesus' name. Amen.